I want you to put your hands together and welcome Pastor David Keller. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brown. <clears throat> After an introduction like that, I don't quite know what to say or how to respond, but uh, <clears throat> thank you. That's mixed emotion, you know. I guess with gray hair, you're supposed to know some things, but... Uh, we're all working on it, okay? All right. But likewise, now, and, and it's so good to see all of you and many of you that we have uh, become acquainted with uh, through the years that we've been coming here since the Browns have been pastoring. I'll tell you what. Why don't you just take a seat? You know how preachers get. And uh, so, anyway, uh, we are, I want to commend you, uh, you that have really locked in and helping to build a solid foundation here at Life Church. Um, church is not built by a crowd. Churches are built by committed people. And, of course, uh, there has to be leadership, and uh, I certainly appreciate my son-in-law, my daughter, but especially my grandchildren. And uh, we have had just a wonderful, wonderful time here with them and uh, have enjoyed every day. Thank you for being so kind to uh, to our family, to our daughter, her husband, um, our grandchildren, and uh, that certainly helps. But we are delighted to be here. Good to see Shanna. Shanna um, is from Fort Wayne and uh, always uh, uh, very involved in church, so it's good to see her. She's out here in California from Hoosier country getting educated. Okay. So anyway, good to see her again. Let me just, let me preach twice today, okay? The first one will be real short. <clears throat> People invest in what they believe in. People buy what they want to buy. They spend money, their time, and their effort on what is important to them. That's right. If you if 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 football is your is your number one love, there are people that fly to football games. That's their that's their general conference. Every year they spend thousands of dollars. They watch it faithfully and religiously on television, go to games and so forth. If that's if that's your first love, that's where you put your money and your interest and your time and all of that. But that's not the way it is for the people of God. For the people of God, living for God and church and the work of God is their number one love. And that's, that's where we put our investment. Now, if making money is your number one priority in life, you put your money in the stock market. Uh, the S&P, the Dow Jones, all of that, you watch it religiously and you know what's going on there and you, and you, and you play the market. What I'm saying is... There is no greater investment in the world than the kingdom of God. Where am I going with this? Okay. Abundant life has not always uh, been what it is today. It was a very small church at one time. And uh, as we grew, different people come in. And I remember several years ago, we must have been running probably 150, um, someone Someone made a statement to me that that uh, 
was an epiphany. It was, it was a, a moment that just dawned on me that said, here it is. They said, the reason we like Abundant Life Church is because we feel like it's our church, not your church. That was, as a pastor, that was the greatest compliment that somebody could have paid me. That was telling me <clears throat> that people were buying into the vision and they were taking ownership of their church. And when you have ownership in something, you take care of it. Uh, you promote it. You invest in it. And um, someone told me this week that, um, that has recently joined our congregation, an older couple. Matter of fact, he's about 70. Well, it's not that old. But uh, joined us here recently, he and his wife. And um, they told me yesterday, said, we have never been to a church where so many people are involved. That's the key to a growing church. A lot of the ministries in our church started because somebody came to me and said, I've got a burden to do this. And I said, do it. And so that developed into a ministry. Now, if it was something that, you know, just was ridiculous, then then no, we, we didn't do it. But uh, but they were investing. And, and every year, matter of fact, right now, in the month of January, we have between 150 and 200 people that will be at the church almost every night practicing for a drama called Messiah that we'll put on in uh, uh, around Easter and uh, we'll have we'll have an average uh, or a little over a thousand people a night there for three nights it's a big event in our city it's a bridge to our community it brings exposure to our church uh, and what I'm saying is all of this is not happening because of a pastor it's happening because of people that have bought into a vision that believe in their church believe in the work of God and and they just they just do they just work so uh, what am I saying? That's the fulfillment they have in their lives is showing up at church with their ministry, whether it's a food bank, whether it's uh, the clothing bank, whether it's uh, uh, any other of the myriad of ministries that we have, people are involved. That's, that's where you'll get your satisfaction and your fulfillment is spending your time, your talent, and your treasure investing them in the kingdom of God. And I promise you, nothing in this world will bring greater returns to you than that. Okay? <clears throat> Just a thought. All right. Again, it's good to be here. And um, uh, thank you for your prayers uh, for my wife during this past year. She has had uh, a lot of health issues. And uh, thanks for the prayers of the people and the intervention of God. She is doing much, much better. So thank you for that. Amen. <clears throat> Chapter number 53 of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles and would like to go there, uh, would you like to stand for the, uh, in honor to the reading of the word? And again, thank you, Pastor Brown. I, I almost got out of preaching today. I think uh, I told him when he came over yesterday that someone knocked on our door and said, uh, we want to hear our pastor preach on Sunday. But he didn't believe that. <laughs> so here we are. But our church loves to hear uh, your pastor preach and teach, one of the best out there. So you need to be really cognizant of that and aware that he, uh, that, that you,
are very blessed to have him and, of course, uh, our lovely daughter. All right. Isaiah chapter 53. I want to be careful to try to give you a word from the Lord here today. The writer Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, I'm going to be reading this entire chapter, so you may be seated. Just follow along closely with us. This, let me give you a little background. This is the prophet, of course, Isaiah, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, prophesying of the coming of Christ. Keep that in mind as we read. I'll start over. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, speaking of Christ, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we did as it were, or I'm sorry, and we hid as it were our faces from him, for he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. As we read this, keep in mind that Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before Christ came. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put, he hath, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, that's us, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and, his, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And so, here today, I would like to call your attention to uh, verse number 2, and, uh, and preach from that for a while. And that is simply this, for he, which is Christ, shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. Everybody say, root out of dry ground. Let me talk to you for a little bit about that root out of dry ground. As I had already mentioned, 
this particular uh, prophecy was written approximately 700 years before Christ. Isaiah, we are told, gives us one of the most vivid pictures of the Messiah that was yet to come. So plain was the picture that we have to wonder how the Jews could possibly have missed the coming of Jesus Christ and overlooked him. 700 years before Christ came, it was as though this prophet, this seer, stood and, and was standing at the foot of Calvary and seeing not only the birth of Christ, but the crucifixion of Christ. He was very vivid in his description, uh, how that he was describing Christ. The problem is, the same age-old problem that many generations have, is the people, uh, when Christ came, they were looking for a king. He came as a servant. They were looking for a prince that was born into pageantry with regal bearing, but he was born into poverty. They were looking for one, they, 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 I'm sorry, they could have, they could have chosen for his, he could have chosen for his disciples, the noble, the wise, the rich, the powerful, but he chose instead fishermen, tax collectors, and paupers. He could have eaten with aristocracy, but he chose to eat with publicans and with sinners. He could have been buried with kings and nobility, but he chose to be buried in a borrowed tomb. And so Isaiah 53, or 53, verse 2 says, simply by the prophet Isaiah, that he would come as a root out of dry ground. What is the prophet trying to say when he says a root out of dry ground? It was as if though God were saying through the prophet, I am going to do something that will astound you. I am going to come in a way that is seemingly impossible with men so that you will believe that I am the Christ and I will manifest what I can do in and through people that give themselves to me. The Messiah was going to be born, we understand, in the most difficult of circumstances that were possible so that the world would know that God, this God, would be the God of impossibilities. The circumstances surrounding his birth could not have been more difficult. Let me elaborate for just a moment to punctuate the point. Religion, when Christ came into the world, he chose the most difficult time to be born. The circumstances were bleak and dark and somber, and it was the most, it was the most uh, uh, least likely time that Christ would come into the world, and i show you why. Religion during the time when Christ come was simply dead. It was dry, and needless to say, it was corrupt to the core. There had been no divine inspiration or voice of God for 400 years. Christ came on the heels of, of what is called by the theologians and historians as the silent years. It was a time that when there was no voice of God. There was not a hint of a breath 
breath of divine inspiration for 400 years. It was dry ground. There had been uh, there had been no inspiration. There was no Moses to lead them now. There was no David to build them into a nation. There was no Jeremiah, a prophet, to weep for them. There was no Samuel to prophesy over them. Religion was dead. It was simply dry ground. The nation, what about the political front? Couldn't Christ have chosen a better time to come? Certainly, you would say, he should have. But let's look when he came. The nation was in turmoil, torn between religious factions and military um, uh, enemies. And so, not only that, but there was a growing sense of banditry. Crime was out of control. There was the rise of the Zealot movement, which was the religious Pharisees. And so, the insurgency was mounting in opposition. Corruption was filling the, the, the protocol of Roman government. Everything was in chaos. Everything was topsy-turvy. Everything was upside down. And Christ said, that's when I'm coming. When things are bad, I'm coming as a root out of dry ground. Jesus came at the worst possible time. He was, again, a root out of dry ground. And so it was as if God were saying again, I'm going to make it as hard and difficult as possible so that you will know what I can do. He's saying, in essence, it doesn't matter what the odds are. Stack the deck against me. Put me in the worst conditions. Take away the nutrients of the soil. Take away the water. Burn the ground with the sun. Let the hot winds blow. Take away the gardeners, the cultivators. And after you have done everything that you can do, stand back because I'm coming out of dry ground. I'm coming out of barrenness. I'm coming from the bait and the part saw. I'm proving to you that I will come and I will perform that which I said that I would do. And so I am saying to you today before we move on, somebody already uh, in, in your spirit, I believe this is resonating because you have said the day of revival is over. It's parched ground. It's, uh, it's, it's burn over field. Uh, we can't have the revival and we can't build a church. Don't underestimate what God can do. He can be the root out of dry ground. Don't look into your own life and say, I can't do it. It's over. Hang on. I've got a ways to go here today. And so God was saying, I don't need armies to conquer. I don't need to be born of a noble birth to be a king. I don't need friends in high places to put in a good word for me. I don't need your federal funding. I own the gold of a thousand hills. I don't even need your wine. I'll take some water and I'll make some wine out of that water. In other words, he was saying, you just step back and look and listen. I'll show you what I can do that nobody else has done. Jesus says, now I know that in the midst of all of this, you, you, you're still going to, to be a little skeptical. So even in the year of, of 2012, I've got some people that I need to remind about some things. And so he calls our attention to the book of Romans, the right of the Apostle Paul by divine inspiration in Romans chapter 4 verse 19 he says here is, is what I'm trying to show you and so he goes back and he says Apostle Paul writes and says and being not weak 
in faith, he can, which is talking about Abraham now, the father of, of the Hebrew race. He, Abraham, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so he is saying, look here, you want to talk about dry ground? Here is a man that is 100 years of age. His body is not able to reproduce. Here his wife is 90 years old. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, Sarah, about this time next year, you're going to have a baby boy. She hid herself behind the folds of the tent and laughed and said, oh, yeah, right. I'm 90 years old. My womb is dead. I'm beyond childbearing. The angel of the Lord said, Sarah, don't laugh about it. She says, I didn't laugh. He said, you did laugh. You just hide and watch. And so here we go when we talk about a root out of dry ground. He's saying, Sarah and Abraham, out of the deadness and the dryness and the barrenness of your bodies, there is going to come a son. His name is going to be Isaac. And through Isaac, through Abraham and Isaac, there is going to be a root out of impossibilities. For you see, Isaac was born. And then after Isaac was born was Jacob, the deceiver. Judah was born after that. Isaiah 65 and 9 says, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my elect shall inherit it, and my my servants shall dwell there. And so prophetically, he's looking down through the scope of prophecy and saying, here it's coming. I'm telling you, as sure as we're standing here, Abraham and Sarah, your womb is not dead. Here we go. Because after Judah was born, Hezron. After Hezron was Ram. After Ram was Abinadab. After Abinadab came Nashon. After Nashon came Salmon. After Salmon came Boaz the kinsman redeemer. After Boaz came Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now we're beginning to understand what's going on here because after Obed came a man by the name of Jesse. We know in Scripture, Jesse was the father of David. There it is, Micah 5 and 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so now out of Judah, the littlest among the nations. And so he said, says to Jesse, Jesse, the prophet came and said, now, Jesse, bring your boys up here because I'm going to anoint one of them king of Israel. Saul's days are over. We're going to have a new king, and I'm going to anoint him. And so Samuel calls, uh, uh, tells Jesse to call his boys, and here they come. The seven brothers of David come in from, from the chores, and these are the big guys, you know, the brawny guys and the smart guys, and, and, and they line up, and David's not even there, not even considered. And so Samuel is looking, and he's waiting, and he's tapping 
his foot a little bit, and he looks at these big, brawny, smart guys and good-looking and says, I don't see him here. Is there not yet one more? Well, yeah, there's one here, but he's in the pasture back here taking care of the sheep, and he's just, he just a little guy, and, and really, I don't think he's it. Bring him in. So they brought him in, and here comes David looking around, you know, all of his big brothers, older brothers, and so Samuel had everybody stand, and he got up, and he reaches in the folds up of his garments, and he pours out the horn of oil and pours it over the head of David and says, here, God's saying, I don't need the biggest, the strongest, the smartest. I'm going to bring this thing out of the least, and I'm bringing it out of the least of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah, out of dry ground. It's going to be a root. And so it goes on, and here we find the allegory. We say, how does this relate to me? I'll tell you how it relates to you and I. God does not always look and very seldom looks for those who have it all together. He looks for people like you and and I that somehow just just are here and 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 I don't know about you but I was 19 years old when I when I really gave my heart to God and felt my call later into ministry and I've always felt I can never do really anything but you know let me preach to somebody here today. You're sitting here and you're saying well I, I can never do anything for God. I can't even live for God. You underestimate the way God's working. God is not looking for ability. God's looking for availability. Someone who will say, here I am, God. I may be the least of the brethren. I may be the least likely to succeed, but I believe there is something that you see in me that you can use if I give myself to you. One of my favorite stories, and I'll try not to be too lengthy today, but one of my favorite stories is regarding a man by the name of Jack Hiles. How many of you have ever heard of Jack Hiles, the name? All right, uh, this is this is an Indiana or Illinois guy, and, and uh, we're in California. Jack Hiles was, was a young man in high school that was the least likely to succeed. Uh, he was the last one to be chosen on the football team. He was not the brightest. He was not the most popular. And so he didn't think he could do much, see, because his home life was in turmoil. His, uh, it was shattered. It was a divorce situation. His father was an alcoholic. And so one day at a youth service, uh, he, uh, he went to the altar and he was praying uh, and he felt his call to pray and he was so happy with that. Long story short, he made his way down uh, uh, through the streets of Chicago looking for his father. He had not seen his father in some time and very seldom saw him because his father was an alcoholic. And so he went looking for him and he, he knew that he could find him in one of the bars and so he went from bar to bar, finally finding his father and said uh, to him after he talked just a little bit uh, and his dad said, what do you want? He said, Dad... He said, I just want to tell you, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm, I'm going to be a preacher, Dad. And so his dad, instead of being happy with that, turned to him and began to rant and rave and curse him out and said, there is no blankety-blank son of mine that's ever going to be a preacher. Get your blankety-blank out of here, and I don't want to see your blankety-blank face again. And so he got up and pushed him and, uh, and shoved him and followed him out of the door of the bar and across the street, cursing him and kicking him. 
and saying this no son of mine will ever be a preacher and shoving him again the last thing he said before he walked away was he looked at his boy and he said if you're going to be a preacher go out and build the biggest church in the world with that he left Jack Hiles began to pastor Hammond Rhodes Church there in Hammond, Indiana. And it began to grow. It was, it was some time ago that there was the World Conference of Churches. Jack Hiles was called to the platform. And in that vast congregation, he was awarded with a certificate of the largest church in the world. At one time, back then, it was running 20,000 members. And Jack Hiles, of course, uh, uh, taken back and always lived by what his dad said. After his father died, he went to the cemetery where his father was buried, we leaned over that, that cold, dark grave, looked at his dad and weeping and said, Dad, I did it. I built the biggest church in the world. I'm preaching to somebody today that says I can't make it. I can't do it. I can't be what I want to be. I want to tell you today, you, don't, you, 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 you cannot put your trust in the arm of flesh, but there is a God that set the same spirit that dwelt in Christ. If it dwell in you, shall also quicken your mortal body. There's somebody today that needs to hear what the preacher is saying. Martin Luther was a man who, who, who ignited the fires of the Reformation and literally turned the world upside down over Reformation. You feel like that it is impossible. I'm telling you, God said it is not impossible. Apostle Paul was a man of course, it was born with circumstances against him. But he went on and penned the words for some here today that say, I would like to live for God, but I simply can't. Apostle Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, out of the barrenness of Sarah's womb, out of the deadness of Abraham's body, we come down to, to a common lineage here of this man by the name of David who became king of Israel, who took Bathsheba to wife, who had her husband murdered and conceived an illegitimate child who died. After that, through Bathsheba came Solomon. After Solomon was Rehoboam, who divided the kingdom. Then came the sordid history of men like Abijah and Asa and Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Uzziah and Jothan and Ahaz and Hezekiah and then Manasseh and Ammon and then Josiah, the father of 
of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. Now he's saying, I'm going to make it harder. And so God says, the ground is hard, but I'm going to make it harder. And he stamps it down and he says, Israel and Judah, you're going into captivity for 70 years. It's going to be persecution. It's going to be exile. It's going to be hardship. And so he's packing it down real tight and real hard and says, I'm showing you what I can do if you will just let me do it. And so he packs the dirt down hard and it's dry. But then out of 70 years of tribulation and heartache and frustration came Jeconiah. After Jeconiah came Shetel. Then after he came Zerubbabel who restored and built the temple. After that, Abiad and then Eliakim. Hang on, I'm saying this for a reason. Then there was Azor, then Zadok, and then Achim, and then Eliad, then Eliezer, then Mathan, and then Jacob, not the Jacob the deceiver, but Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, both of whom were of the seed of David. Joseph traces his lineage back to David through Solomon. And then Mary chases her lineage back through through that of Nathan, both of them whose mother was Bathsheba, who had a sordid and illicit relationship there with David. And so throughout all of the adultery and the treachery and the deceit of many, many years of packed down and baked earth and barren soil, there would come a root out of dry ground. And so here's the key now. We say, how? And there are those that are questioning, how can Jesus be the Christ? Look at his lineage. Look at his pedigree. Look where he came from. His mother was an adulteress. His father was a murderer. And every every sordid person down through the generations that's Christ but here is here is is the secret of the virgin birth Jesus didn't need Joseph and he didn't need Mary except for one reason he needed a legal name and he needed a human body to identify in why because if Christ if Christ uh, used the DNA of a man and the DNA of a woman and what they contributed by the egg and genetics and so forth and the contribution from a man, he would have inherited the sin nature. But the Bible tells us explicitly and plainly that Jesus Christ was the second man, Adam. What makes him the second man, Adam? The first man, Adam, was a divine creation. He was not born of a man and of a woman, but created in the womb of Mary by divine inspiration. She did not supply the egg. Joseph did not make a contribution. It was a divine creation that God said, all I need is a legal name and all I need to do is to identify with humanity. Therefore, the Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. That's why he can redeem us and pull us up out of our circumstances. It's because he did not have the DNA of Joseph and the DNA of Mary. He said, I am the God man. I'll sleep in your beds. I'll eat your food. I'll become weary as a man. But as God, I'll raise the dead. I'll heal the 
was sick or walk on water. I'm so glad that he took on the form of man. And the Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifest in the flesh, justified. And the spirit seed of angels preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up in the glory. Aren't you glad you know him today? So here we go. A root out of dry ground. Paul said, consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Consider the deadness of Abraham's body. And so out of all of that, through 1,117 years and 39 generations of rebellion, bloodshed, idolatry, treachery, adultery, and so forth, a live seed from a dead womb would bring eternal life to every man, every woman, and every child that believed in him. And because he came as a root out of dry ground, then it's not just because we can look back and say, wow, that was great. Nope. He did that so you and I could identify with that. For you see, out of death would spring life. Out of hopelessness would spring hope. Out of the darkness would come light. Out of chaos would come order. And out of the eater would come forth meat. And out of the strong would come forth sweetness. And so Job said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one, not one, not one. But you see, he was not just one. He was a God-man. He can take this, this, this root out of dry ground. He can bring a clean out of an unclean. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what your name is, what your pedigree is. He can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing. I don't care what you did last night. You may have wallowed in the mire, but if you get up today and say, it's not by might and not by power, but it's by your spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. The root out of dry ground that Isaiah is talking about is God taking the impossible and making it possible. I can't quit my drinking. I can't quit my carousing. I can't quit my drugging. I can't quit my habits. No, you're exactly right. You can't. Not in our own selves, in our own strength. There is not one, and Pastor Brown said it today. The Bible says there is, there is that, that all have sinned. There is none righteous for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all a sordid mixed bag of confused uh, uh, humanity that is jumbled up and rolled up into, into this human nature. That's why something has got to happen. You say, I just I, I, I just, just can't. Let me tell some of you today that you're having fi financial chaos and confusion. Out of the deadness and the dryness of your financial world and crisis, 
God can bring a blessing if you'll trust him. Out of your troubled and confused mind, some of you, some of you so torn and mixed emotionally that, that troubled and plagued with, with fear and doubts and phobias and anxieties and worries that you can hardly make it through another day. But I'm telling you that if you'll trust God today, that in your troubled, confused mind, he can replace it with peace and calm and tranquility, not in yourself, not in the psychiatrist, not in the psychologist, not in the doctors, but there is an old-fashioned altar with an old-fashioned relationship with God that can heal your mind and can heal your emotions if you'll put your trust in him. Out of your troubled spirit and your dead spirit that you thought would never live again, I looked into the hollow eyes of a man this week and, 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 and the hopelessness was there that said there's no use. Why even try? Driving down a boulevard somewhere through, through L.A., I looked and, and the man the man, simply his body was there, but his spirit was not there. How many people are living but yet not living? Dead in their spirit. But God can bring a resurrection to your spirit. That is the will of God. Out of your brokenness, God can bring healing. Out of the deadness and the dryness of your human heart, God can bring help and righteousness. And so he can do the impossible. I'm hurrying on here today. Romans 8 and 11 says, and here's the key. But if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Here's the secret. Christianity has failed in America. Christianity has failed. That's why there is the rise of Islam. That's why there is a rise in the occult. That's why there's a rise in, in every, every different religion, Hinduism and Shinduism, Taoism and so forth, because Christianity has failed. Why has Christianity failed? Because the same reason that the law failed in the Old Testament. The Bible says, for finding fault with them, saith God, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The problem was not the law, the covenant of God or the word of God. The problem was the unbelief in the hearts and the lives of people. And so here today, here today, and please come to the instruments. I'm closing. The problem is, in Christianity, we have created a self-help program of religious psychology that says I can do it myself. You know, I'm here to tell you, you know it. We can't do it ourselves because in us is no good thing. That's why, that's why this church is different. That's why you don't sign a card and join the church to be saved. That's why you don't shake the preacher's hand. Shaking the preacher's hand won't save you. Joining a church won't save you. Being religious won't save you. 
being a good person won't save you. Given, given through philanthropy and, and, and great projects to help the poor won't save you. That's why the Bible says, here we go, a man must be born again. He must be born again. Now, many of you know what this means, but I, some of y'all looking at me today like, huh? That's how Nicodemus looked at Jesus. When Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, but I tell you, a man must be born again or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus looked back at him and said, I don't understand this. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Nicodemus, marvel not that I send you. You must be born again. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. We're two parts. We're flesh and we're spirit. You're born once to die twice. You're born twice to die once. So he said, you must be born again. Okay, preacher, here I am. I heard what the preacher's saying today. You know what you need? You don't need religion. You need, you need this seed that came out of dry ground that overcame all impossibilities. You need it in your life that will change you into somebody you thought you never could be. Seminary won't do it. You can read the Bible through every day. That won't do it. You can join every church in, in, in town. That won't do it. That's why this church preaches, you don't just join a church. You're born again. Born again. Well, how am I born again? I'm glad you asked. You are born again, Jesus said, of the water and of the Spirit. And the Spirit, this spake he of the Spirit, that they should believe, receive that believe on him. So that's why, that's why Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and get this. Get it, okay? I've slowed down, but I want you to get this. That's why they said to Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what must we do? Peter said unto them, shake the preacher's hand, join the church, follow Christ. No. Peter said unto them, what? Repent. In other words, deadness to self. Repent and be baptized. Some of you, no, no, every one of you. How many of you have been baptized? He said to be baptized. I'm not going to go into it, but the Greek word baptizo, which is not sprinkle water, but it's fully dip, fully dip, immerse in water. How? In the name of John Doe? No. In the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? No. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that was the root out of dry ground. You take on that name. Joseph, all I need from you is a name, your lineage, your pedigree. Mary, all I need from you is a womb. I'm going to use it to identify. And so Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and spirit. Repent and be baptized. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
which when everybody received it in Acts 2, 38, 8, 16, 10, 48, 19, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they received the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Would you stand with me, please? ask you to bow your heads with me today and close your eyes. There's an old song that says God specializes in things thought impossible. Got any rivers that you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? And you need to know today. He specializes in situations just like yours and just like mine. Well, does that mean I'm going to get rich? Does that mean every, every, my family's all going to be healed? No, we've been through our thing. We've been through our problems. But it does mean that when you go through hell in life, if you don't have this seed, this root out of dry ground, you probably won't make it. But if you've got that spirit in you, no matter what comes or what goes in your life, he's going to give you power to live for him and power to overcome and the power of peace and joy and happiness in your life. Is there somebody here today that says, He'll say, Preacher, I, I'm a mess. I just don't think I can. Too many problems. But I'll tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna trust what you're saying today. And I want an experience with this root out of dry ground. As we sing, not to embarrass our guests or visitors or someone that like Zach is hiding behind the foliage of your own little world seeing Jesus go by I'm going to ask you to come today and bring somebody with you to this altar introduce them to this root out of dry ground would you do that today as we say
Would you join us in prayer, if you will, please come. We just want to gather here, close to the front here for a little while. forward and join these that have come up for prayer. Let's pray together as a church family. Let's step out of where you are and let's pray together now. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. That's it. Bring your family up. Let's pray together in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord.
Amen. I want you to reach over and pray with someone right now in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Come on, reach over and pray with someone. We're going to pray for one another. Hallelujah. God, I believe you for breakthrough. I believe you for deliverance. I believe you, Jesus, for victory. Come on, that's it. Just talk to him right now. Hallelujah. Nothing is impossible. God, I'm ready to hear from you. God, I want my life to be lived for you, Jesus. I need that Holy Spirit. I need Jesus on the inside. Hallelujah. I want that new birth. I want to be reborn, born of the water and the Spirit. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus.
Hallelujah. I want you, before you leave, I want you just to lift up your hands right now because the word has come. God's given a word, and I want you to open up your hands as a sign of surrender. I want to receive. I want the seed of the word to be planted in my spirit. I don't want to leave here and not receive and not receive appropriately what God has given to me. I don't want to leave here and not have germinate within me the the word of God that's going to produce faith. Lift up your hands. Some of you in a difficult situation, God's trying to give you a word right now. You better receive the word. If you want to make it, you better receive the word. If you want to be an overcomer, you better receive the word. Come on, lift up your hands. Come on, that's it. Hallelujah. There is a flood of anointing in this place. Hallelujah. The word has come. I want you to receive it in faith and confidence. Come on, somebody needs to say, I believe. <laughs> Devil, you're a liar. I believe. <laughs> God, you can transform this difficult, burnt up, beat up, destroyed situation, this dry ground, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a situation at work. God, I believe the power of your spirit to work.
hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I thank God for the work that he's doing in, in our lives right now. Amen. And I want to keep my life ever in a position where the word of God affects it. I don't want to get to where I, I can't be affected by the word of God, by the ministry of the word, and by the power of prayer. And, and God is working on you, working in your life. And uh, this week I, I want to challenge you and encourage you. If you're a member of Life Church, or even if you're just a guest, I want you to draw close to the Lord this week. I want you to take time for prayer. I want you to take some time to read the Bible. Read your Bible. Uh, we we have a, a group, a small group, four maybe four, three or four people that gather here over the course of uh, the last week, and then the next uh, 14 days, actually Monday through Friday, we meet here at the church. 6 30 uh, until 8 some have to come a little earlier or leave early or whatever spend some time in prayer that's not the only time you can pray but I'm encouraging you pray let's get ready for what God wants to do in our lives let's draw close to him if you want to get the same results then keep doing what you've always been doing but if somebody here is hungry for God to do something new and fresh in your life stretch yourself in the area of faith Stretch yourself in the area of spiritual discipline, and you can begin to see spiritual growth. You know what? When you're not stretching yourself in, in, the, in the area of spiritual discipline, what happens? You have no appetite for it. You have only appetite for the things of this world. But once you begin to stretch yourself, you find yourself hungering for more of God. That's the position we're trying to get you in at the beginning of this year. It's a place where you're hungry for more of God, where you're like, Pastor, I wish we had more church. I wish we could come here more. I, I, what can I do? How can I get involved? I'm hungry to work for God. Amen. That only comes through drawing close to Him and letting Him change your priorities and flip everything around. Amen. Praise God. So I encourage you. We have the early morning prayer. We have a Bible study on Wednesday night, and there's prayer beforehand. And then also on Thursday, uh, we have a, a church family prayer from 8 to 9 o'clock. If you're able to... Uh, stop by or if you can just make it a priority to spend time especially during this time of prayer and fasting spend time drawing close to the Lord we're in training brothers and sisters we're in training amen how many are thankful for the word of God today praise God thank you brother Keller for uh, ministering to each of us and I don't know about you but while the word was coming forth I was just about to blow up because I I was just thinking you know it doesn't matter what your situation is how dry it is how difficult it is how ugly it is that's where God wants to show up Jesus said that's a perfect spot for me amen amen what we think is a perfect spot sometimes isn't but God knows sometimes what we see as a miserable spot is a perfect spot for his providence to manifest itself thank God for that hallelujah Praise the Lord. Amen. We're going to allow you to be dismissed in Jesus' name. I want to say it's good to see the Rojas family visiting with us. God bless you. This is uh, brother and sister Ramirez's daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter. and uh, uh, Sister Ramirez, a precious, precious lady, part of our church for a long time. And uh, 
Um, she is uh, living in the throes of dementia, as I understand right now. So um, thank God for her family that is uh, caring for her. And we miss both brother and sister Ramirez. And uh, thankful for this sweet couple. But make sure you greet the Rojas family. And God bless. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll see some of you in the morning at 6.30, 7 o'clock. The rest of you will see Wednesday night. God bless you.